a guy is sitting in a job interview and the interviewer says to the candidate for this job we need somebody very responsible the candidate says oh well you got the right guy because at my old job everything that went wrong they all decided I was responsible okay so we're gonna talk about who is responsible you know like uh, Harry S Truman had a sign on his desk during World War II that said the buck stops here okay so let's talk about who is responsible who is the leader who's the one who uh, ultimately takes accountability this week is Parshish Kairach and uh, as we all know the you know Kairach is the name of a person he was Mesha's uh, cousin and he led a rebellion to usurp the high priesthood the high priesthood was occupied by Aaron the brother of Mesha, which was uh, by divine appointment. Kairach rabble-roused. He got a bunch of people excited. Actually, they weren't rabble. <laughs> they were the opposite. They were uh, intellectual elites. They were uh, heads of, uh, of rabbinic courts. At any rate, he, well, he also rabble-roused because Dustin and Aviram were, were definitely rabble. But he got everybody. He fomented a whole... Uh, rebellion and he got everybody all excited and they confronted Meshe, um and they started uh, questioning the whole system of high priesthood and uh, in short their their claim was they wanted to democratize the office they wanted to make it uh, belong to everybody or at least it's hard to understand what they actually imagined would be the outcome. Uh, Meisha basically told him it's an impossibility, and he, he formulated this contest, this sort of priestly duel, as it were, where everyone would take the, um, the incense, which was a unique uh, duty, uh, priestly duty, and uh, they would come out, it was a very strange thing, they would do this priestly duel where they would all bring the incense and they would see whoever was the legitimate high priest would survive and everybody else would die. So what else, what they were thinking, I don't know. Rashi says the Kairach thought everyone would die except for him. <laughs> Maybe there were, there were different uh, scenarios that uh, people were hoping for. But Moshe's response is what we're going to talk about today. Moshe's response is very interesting. Um, Moshe says, let me just look at this inside. Yeah, so this is where he's proposing the duel. Go take for yourself these uh, pans, these shovels. Uh, why did he say this to them? So first Rashi explains that Meish is explaining to them that there can only be one high priest, very clearly. He says, Meish was saying to them, Among other religions, Lahavdil, they have a lot of different rites, rituals, uh, priests, like there's, there's no uh, uniformity. And, uh, you know, schisms. They have a lot of power schisms, and they don't have one place where they gather. We have one God, one, one ark, one altar, one high priest. 
ואתם, חמישים ומסיים איש מבקשים כונה גדלה, and all 250 of you want to be the high priest, that's just not how it works. Here's the words I want us to dwell on. אף אני רצה בכך. I would also like that. Very interesting. The Rashi goes on, but, and the Rashi is based on the Medrash. But what is this Moshe saying, אף אני רצה בכך. I also would like that. First of all, what would he like? He would also like to be Kain Gadol. Mesha just got through saying that there could only be one Kain Gadol. So Mesha is basically saying he wants something that could never be. Also, it seems like he's legitimizing their argument. He's, he's basically saying, yeah, what you want is a good thing. I'm just sorry, I can't help you. But it's, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Totally, yeah, I'm, on your, I'm with you. I also would like that. So we have to understand, what is this af ani reitzebekach? I would also like to be kain gadol. And then, you know, then why is there only one kain gadol? And then, take your pick. Mamonushach, like they say. Which way do you want to look at it? Everyone's kain gadol, there's only one kain gadol, or there's one kain gadol, but everyone should want to be kain gadol? We have to understand this. Okay. So, uh... I'll tell you the short answer. I'll tell you the short answer first. I was at a Shabbaton yesterday for the Sea Kids. Sea Kids is a program, Shluchim Run, Chabad Shluchim all over the world for children. And they do a program there called Jukyu, where they study. Jewish literacy, and then they get quizzed on it, and then those who perform the best go to regional competitions, and then there's the national, um, I guess like the, it's like the spelling bee, sort of, Lahavdil. So they, they did it in the Poconos, and uh, they had this big competition, and it was beautiful to see. These were largely uh, homes that were not observant, and the parents had uh, agreed to let their children spend time studying Jewish literacy and being tested on it. And then the, the parents came with the children to the Shabbaton. So, Baruch Hashem, I was there. And I was one of the judges for the contest, actually. I'll put that on my resume now. I judged the Jew kill. And... Uh, so, they, they, why was I there? I'm... You can say, I, Rabbi Taub, I didn't know you were good with kids. I'm not. <laughs> they ran a parallel program for the parents. So, uh, and that, that, that was so amazing to see these parents who, they were there because their children basically brought them there. And they had nachas. You know, what Jewish parent doesn't beam with pride when their child is accomplishing something? So, uh, anyways, we had this par uh, parents program. And one of the things was we had a stump the rabbi session, which I don't like that whole stump the rabbi anyways. Like, what's the big deal? Whatever, that's a side conversation. I don't like the whole idea of stump the rabbi. I'll tell you, one day I'll tell you why I don't like it. But at any rate, if you want to have a conversation, let's have a conversation. But now I'll tell you the quick reason I don't like stump the rabbi. Because stump the rabbi makes it seem like there's like this thrill 
and getting a rabbi to admit he doesn't know anything. Rabbis should admit they don't know something. What's wrong with saying, I don't know? Like, ah, we got you. you no, know, you didn't get me. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't like to stump the rabbit like it sounds like. But if you want to have a conversation, beautiful, let's have a conversation. Anyways, so one of the questions that came up, and it was a totally innocent question. Nobody was trying to make any trouble. Um, we had like a box people put questions in. One of the questions is, when is Lubavitch getting a new debit? And uh, so I'll tell you what I told them. I told them that, the first of all, I said it's a great question, um, especially based on history, because it previously, every time there'd been a, a Rebbe had passed away, that they installed a successor. So why are we not doing the same thing now? I said the, the cheap and easy answer is, well, the Lubavitchers, they were so emotionally attached to their leader, they could never move on. Okay, I mean, any New York Times journalist can write some uh, article and... Uh, you know, write that. That's a very shallow interpretation of it. Um, but I said, uh, on a deeper level, if you want to understand why something is happening for the first time in history, you have to appreciate that something's happening for the first time in history. When, when something is new and unprecedented, that means something is new and unprecedented. I don't, I don't mean that uh, to be redundant. What I mean is, if the effect is new, that means the cause is new. Something happened now that's different than in the past. So what happened now that's different in the past? So I told them that the Lubavitcher Rebbe most certainly did appoint a successor. And I asked everyone in the room when they're ready to get to work. The Rebbe created a system of shluchim, <clears throat> not just official shluchim, but every single person that Rebbe met, the Rebbe made a shliach, that was the dollars. When the Rebbe gave the dollars, the purpose of the dollars was to deputize you to be a shliach mitzvah. The dollar was, now you should give tzedakah. So now you are on a mission. Now you work. The Rebbe's putting you to work. And, uh, and the Rebbe said that every single Jewish man, woman, and child is a shliach from Hashem. And... Uh, the Rebbe stressed very, very often the Talmudic dictum of shliach shal adam kemaisei. It's a legalistic term, but it means one's emissary is as oneself. So the Rebbe clearly um, groomed his successor, which is all of us. And why was that never done before? Because it was never done before. That's not how it was done. Power was concentrated with one leader. But the Rebbe saw that it's time to invest that power, or rather, I should probably say, reveal that power that's in everyone. So one of the fathers said, that's very inspiring, I like that, but where do you see a precedent for this? I said, that's a legitimate question. I said, first of all, maybe it's completely new and there is no precedent. But if there is a precedent, that's obviously better. So I told them, I said, uh, the farther back I go, the better? He said, yeah, obviously, that's, that's what precedent is. I said, okay, so I'll go back to before the giving of the Torah. Hashem told Moshe, tell the people before they got the Torah, they should be, you should be for me, 
a kingdom of priests, a priestly nation. And the Balaturim says, Kehanim Gedalim, a nation of high priests. Now, obviously, that's drush, that's homiletic. On a halachic level, obviously, there is only one Kain Gadol. Halachically, there's only one person who was able to enter the Kedesh Kedoshim on Yim Kippur and do the Aveda of the Kain Gadol. But on a spiritual level, what the Balaturim is saying is, at the moment we became Jews, at the moment of Matan Teda, we also all became high priests. So I told this father, really, that's the way it always was. And in fact, I mentioned to him, next Shabbos is Shabbos Parshas Kairach. Kairach, his biggest mistake was bad timing. He, was, he had bad timing. He was 3,000 years too soon. What he wanted was a good idea, but it was way too messianic. It cannot exist until the coming of Mashiach. When, when, when Mashiach comes, so then the prophet tells us, no one will learn from his fellow. Because everyone will know me, says Hashem. Everyone will directly know Hashem. So Kedek was ahead of his time. He wanted everyone to be on that level. I'm sorry, no, we're not ready for that. But you see that, in essence, every Jew is really a Kain Gadol. You know, the, <laughs> they say that, I think it was during the Yom Kippur War, so Golda Meir was going back and forth with uh, Richard Nixon, and uh, Nixon got mad at her, and, you know, like you're from this tiny little country and you have so much chutzpah. He said, you don't realize who you're talking to. I'm the president of 200 million citizens. This is when the population of the United States was 200 million. He says, I'm the president of 200 million citizens. And she says, you know who you're talking to? I'm the prime minister of 4 million prime ministers. <laughs> because that's the way Yid... Why wouldn't be prime minister of 4 million prime ministers? Because every Yid is a prime minister. Every Yid is a, is a Kain Gadol. So you want the short answer. The short answer up front is, why did Meishu Rabbeinu say, I also want this. Why? Because the most Jewish thing in the world is to realize that the buck stops here. I am the ultimate leader and ultimate authority. There's no one else to rely on. It's all on me. Now, halachically, practically, it couldn't function that way. There had to be one kind gadol. And even when Mashiach comes, obviously there will be one kind gadol. But there's a certain spiritual truth here. And that's what the Balaturim is referencing when he says you are a nation of Kehanim Gedalim, of high priests. So this week coming up, or next week, is uh, Gimel Tammuz, is the yard site of the Rebbe. And uh, I'll tell you one of my favorite, probably my favorite Yechidus story. A story of someone who went into a personal <coughs> audience with the Rebbe. His name was Freddie or Ephraim Hager from uh, London, England, from Golders Green, or from Kings, I guess it's Kingsley Way. And he was in his 20s. He was a very young man when he went into the Rebbe. And uh, it was 3 in the morning when he went in. I'll tell you the punchline of the story before I tell you the story. The punchline of the story is he came out and he said, you know, I was not prepared properly for my meeting with the Rebbe. I thought I was going to meet a great man. I left realizing I had met my true self. I thought I was going to meet a great man. I left realizing I had met my true self. Okay, what does that mean he had met his true self? 
He goes into the Rebbe and uh, I don't know what they had discussed earlier, but toward the end of the Yechidus, the Rebbe asked him about his name, Hagar. It's a, it's a royal name in the Hasidic world. So he asked him, are you related to a certain Hasidic dynasty? And he said, yes. And in fact, he mentioned that a grandfather or a great-grandfather, I'm not sure, had been a Rebbe back in Europe. And he says, in fact, I'm carrying a picture of this, of this grandfather. And he pulled out the picture. And the Rebbe asked for the picture. And uh, the Rebbe held up the picture. And he starts looking side by side between Freddie, this 20-year-old, and this photo of his grandfather who had been a, a, a Rebbe back in Europe. And he's looking at the two side by side. Now, that's intense. Just the Rebbe sizing you up, you know, looking at you. But they'll back and forth between you and this picture of your, your grandfather who had been a, a Hasidic Rebbe. And the Rebbe's looking back and forth. And then... <coughs> The Rebbe asked him, the Rebbe took the picture and, and asked if he could keep it and put it in his desk drawer. And then the Rebbe asked a question in Yiddish. Vos is a Rebbe. And Freddy couldn't answer. So the Rebbe asked him a second time. Vos is a Rebbe. He couldn't answer. He asked a, a third time. Vos is a Rebbe. He couldn't answer. So the Rebbe said, Der Eshter Rebbe is given to the Baal Shemtuf. Als was er gehabt bei sich in Stubat, der Rebbe gegeben, jeder Nacht fahre legen sich schlafen. The first Rebbe was the Baal Shemtuf. Everything he had in his house, he would give away on a daily basis before lying down. Maybe you want to become a Rebbe. Now, that's the, that's the story. Now, Freddie Hager went on to be a very, very uh, successful businessman. He was the chairman of the London Diamond Bourse. Gave a lot of tzedakah. Question is, what did the Rebbe mean by maybe you want to become a Rebbe? And did Freddie follow the Rebbe's advice? Did he become a Rebbe? And you're going to say, no, he became a businessman. You just told me. He gave a lot of tzedakah. He was chairman of the London Diamond Bourse. He wasn't a, a rebbe. And I would say, of course he was a rebbe, because the rebbe defined a rebbe before he asked him the question, before he made the suggestion of becoming a rebbe. So you, you go look up, what's a rebbe? Oh, it's a guy with a fur hat, and he has a gaba who follows him around, and he collects pidyonis and fetatish. Uh, Okay, that's one definition. That's not how the Rebbe defined it. The Rebbe defined it as somebody who gives away everything that's his on a daily basis. What does that mean? That means that whatever you have in your Jewish home, you're giving away on a daily basis. I told this to the parents at the Sea Kids Shabbaton yesterday. I said to them, maybe you don't keep Shabbos the whole Shabbos. Maybe you only make Kiddush Friday night. But your neighbor doesn't even do that. So you have Friday night, and your neighbor doesn't even have Friday night. Give that away to them. Invite them to your home for that. I said, maybe you don't keep kosher out of the home. You're not there yet. But you keep kosher in the home. So invite, and your neighbor doesn't even do that. So invite your neighbor to come have a kosher meal in your home. I said, maybe you don't yet send your child full-time to a Jewish school. Hint, hint. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe you only send them to... Uh, an after-school program. But your neighbor doesn't even do that. So share that with your neighbor. Recruit them, excite them about it, get them to send their kids to an after-school program. I said, if you know Aleph, teach Aleph. If you know Aleph Base, teach Aleph Base. That's what the Rebbe said. If you don't know Aleph Base, don't teach Aleph Base. If you don't have it, you can't transmit it. So don't try. But if you do have it, do give it. And in fact, you discover the truth that ultimately... The only Yiddishkeit that any of us truly can hold on to is whatever Yiddishkeit we are actively giving away to others right now. 
That's the truth. The only Yiddishkeit we really can hold on to for ourselves, for our families, is whatever Yiddishkeit we are actively giving away to others. So the first Rebbe was the Baal Shem Tov. Everything he had in his house, he gave away on a daily basis. Be a Rebbe. Freddie Hager was a Rebbe. As chairman of the London Diamond Bourse, as a businessman. Because the Rebbe had Rebbes who were school teachers, who were cab drivers, who were uh, stockbrokers. What's your day job? I don't know your day job. Who cares your day job? Atem mam leches kehanim, kehanim gedelim. Every Jew is a Rebbe. So I told the, the, the parents at the, the, the Sikid Shabbaton, I said, <clears throat> you ended up here. The Rebbe started this initiative. He sent out the Shluchim. And one thing led to another. And now you and your kids are here. What does that mean? What's the point of your being here? It means <clears throat> for you to accept your role as leader of world jewelry. That's what the Rebbe wanted. That you should accept your role as Kohen Gadol, as Rebbe. You know, Jonathan Sachs, all of a shalom, he had a great line, he said at the Kinnis HaShluchim, he said, good leaders make followers, great leaders make leaders. I would say even more than that. I would say, throughout history, we had Rebbes who made Chesidim. The Lubavitcher Rebbe made Rebbes. The idea of Shliach Shal Adam Kameisei, and the Rebbe would always say, Mamash, that one's emissary is literally as himself. This was a... This was the deepest truth to the Rebbe, the idea that each one of us isn't just um, part, I mean, I mean, even that's a Kiddush, that each one of us is part of this global agenda. Because once upon a time, if you just, you have your home, you have your family, you're a good Jew, you daven three times a day, and you have your shiurim, and you send your kids to a nice cheder, and that's it, you're gold, that's perfect. You do not have to worry about what's going on in another city, let alone what's going on in the rest of the world. It's not your problem. You're a good Jew. And, 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 and the Rebbe said, no, actually, universal military conscription. Every single person here is drafted. We're all part of the army of Hashem. But it's even more than that because not just everyone's drafted. Everyone was brought into the war room with the maps and everything on the table. And the Rebbe said, here's the strategy. We're going to bring Mashiach. And here's how we're going to do it. And here are the tools. And here's the agenda. And that's unprecedented. But, like I said, when, when something new happens, it's because something new happened. So, why does the Lubavitcher Rebbe not have a successor in the conventional, traditional manner that we saw throughout the generations? Because the, the Rebbe has a successor in a totally new type of way. And, and I understand why there would be resistance to accept that explanation, because... Uh, Inherent in accepting that explanation is accepting massive personal responsibility. That all of a sudden, it's not enough that you are just a good Jew and you and your family are doing what you've got to do. No, all of a sudden you have to worry for the world. Reb Eli Melech once went into Gullus. And I think for two years, three years, and on his way back into town, somebody sees him and they say, oh, your son Lazerke is sick. And he said, oh no. And he ran home and he said, what's with Lazerke? And his wife says, uh, he's in Cheder. 
So Rabbi Elimelech says, you can tell me the truth. I already know when I was walking into town, somebody told me Lezika is sick. She says, no, Lezika Baruch Hashem is fine. No, somebody told me, please just tell me the truth. She says, oh, I realize. The neighbor's kid, Lezika, is sick. This guy thought that's who it was. He told you the wrong information. And Rabbi Elimelech says to his wife, with your permission, I have to go back into Gullus now. Because the purpose of Gullus was self-refinement to become more spiritual, more, more sensitive. And after two years, three years, whatever it was of Gullus, um, I realize how much more work I have to do because when you told me it wasn't our son, I was momentarily relieved. What difference does it make if it's our son or the neighbor's son? Why was I relieved? So, if your child were completely estranged from their birthright and didn't have access to their Jewish identity or any way of expressing their Jewish identity, we know a parent who raised their child from and the child is away from Yiddishkeit, how parents don't sleep. They don't sleep. Okay? So, let's say, Baruch Hashem, it's not your child. Let's say it's not your child, but if it's the neighbor's child. Or maybe it's some Jew in another city who, who, whom you've never met, but it's their child. Or just the fact that you know it exists in the world, that there are Jews who don't know what it means to be Jewish. Why is that not your problem? And the answer is, it is your problem, but that's good news, because if it's your problem, it's also your solution. And you are already deputized, you are already empowered, you are already installed as Rebbe. Mashiach is coming very soon. Kairach was ahead of his time. He couldn't have what he wanted then. But now, not only we can do it, we must do it. There's no such thing anymore as saying, let the big wig sort it out. No way. The big wigs cannot sort it out. They have their job. You have your job. We all have to step up. That's what the Rebbe gave us. So what comes uh, Gimel Tamas next week. The Rebbe's Yortzeit. There are many customs we observe in order to observe a Yortzeit. And uh, you, can, you can look that up. Uh, you can ask your rabbi. You can look it up online. But my, my primary suggestion to each one of us would be that the most fitting Kaddish for the Rebbe would be to do something to express your own leadership. To do something selfless where you are giving away something from your Jewish home to others. And... Uh, God willing, very, very soon we will actually be in the situation that the prophets foretold, that no one will have to teach anyone else because everyone will know Hashem directly. Kulam yedu AC. And that's it. We'll, uh, we'll all directly see God. We'll all know the truth. Until that moment, though, we've got a lot of work to do.